Thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this, you are challenged by the Word of God, you are built up in love, and that you are drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you, this is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be present in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. The title of today's message is Humanity and God, a Contrast. Humanity and God, a Contrast. And today I want to talk to you about peace. Uh, peace, this feeling of peace, is a, is a beautiful thing. I remember the peace that I felt when Kim looked at me and she said, I do. I remember the peace that I felt when Goose came, Eiffel came out of his surgery that just was so scary for us when he was young that he made it through that safely. I remember the peace that I felt when my OSAP was paid off. Peace, the feeling of peace is a beautiful thing. But the feeling of peace can be elusive. It can be elusive because of the ups and downs of life. See, God wants us to have peace. And biblical peace does not mean everything is always peaceful. It doesn't mean everything is always gravy in my life. Biblical peace means that I, there's peace between me and God because of my faith in Jesus Christ. Biblical peace means that there's peace in my heart because I know I'm walking with God. Biblical peace means I can be at peace with others as I repent and seek forgiveness and extend forgiveness to them. Peace can be elusive, but we can have it. Peace can be elusive, but it's something that we can have. We are told things in verses 15 to 22 of this psalm that, that, of this psalm that should give us peace in this life, and it should give us peace about the life that is to come, life in the future. See, in this text, what we're going to see is we're going to see that my life, your life is brief, but the commitment and rule of God should give us peace. We're going to see our life is brief, but the commitment and rule of God should give us peace. Let's pray, though, before we look at it. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that you are a God of peace and you extend peace. And we pray, Lord God, that peace would come and rule in our hearts as we look at the truth that are found in this a passage of scripture. We thank you, Lord God, that you are going to help us. We thank you that you are always with us. We thank you that your spirit is alive, who helps us to rightly interpret the word and walk in it. Please help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Verse 15 says, as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like the flower of the field for the wind passes over it and it goes and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. The first thing David tells us here is he tells us about the brevity of our life. The brevity of our life. He says, as for man, that word man in the Hebrew is nos. It is a poetic way of speaking of human frailty. And, and the words grass and flowers also do that. They, they speak of our 
transience. They speak of the fact that of, of, of our mutability. It speaks of our mortality. See, we, we flourish and then we fade. We live briefly and we pass quickly. We are here today and we are gone tomorrow. Job, Job 14 says, man who is born of a woman is few days and full of trouble. Life is hard, full of trouble. He comes out like a flower and withers. He flees like a shadow and continues not. James 4 verses 14 says, what, if, what is your life? What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a time, a little time, and then vanishes. We are here today and we are gone tomorrow. I don't share that in order to discourage us. I I share that because I believe that in us knowing how brief our life is, that it helps us to live wisely. When we remember and know that life is brief, we, we will be wise about who we spend it with. You think about the person right now, the, the single person who's, who's dating someone or considering dating someone, the person who's considering marriage. Knowing that your life is brief makes you wise. It makes you think wisely about who am I going to say I do to? Because saying I do to the, to the right person can lead to a life of joy. Saying I do to the wrong person, though, can lead to a life of misery. When I remember that life is brief, it helps me to be wise and see that every day is a gift. See that every day is a gift. I don't take anything for granted. I don't take my family for granted, my church for granted, my, my, my job for granted, nothing for granted. I don't, I don't, I don't think that I, I, tomorrow is going to come. The, the word says that we don't even know what it will bring. And so we want to be wise and see every day as a gift. We want to be wise and fix broken relationships. If life is brief, why do we want to go around in strife and disunity? We, we need to strive and fight for unity so that we can live with peace with one another. We need to be wise. Life is brief. We need to be wise with our time. We need to wise with our time. Asking questions. Will this glorify God, this thing that I'm about to do? Will this benefit me? Will it benefit others? Is this a good use of my time? Slow down and ask questions. We have a, a, a short time. Let's not waste it. We need to be wise in our brief life and take steps of faith. Do things that stretch you. Do things that spread the gospel. Do things that that helps others. Be courageous. If you're interested in someone, share it with them wisely and respectfully. And just tell them, trust God with the details. Be courageous and take steps of faith. We need to be wise with our life, knowing that it's brief, we need to enjoy our life and be content with our life. David Gibson, in his book, Living Life Backwards, says, embrace life for what it is rather than what you would like it to be. Live it before God with reverence and obedience. This is the pathway to joy, even though as you walk it, there will be mystery and pain. Again, this reality, when we read scripture, the Bible doesn't hide from us the fact that life can be hard that there is trouble, that there's mystery and pain. Not everything in life is always clear to us. It says, have some nice food, enjoy good wine if you want, but be sure to enjoy whatever good things come your way. Live the life you have now instead of longing for the life you think you will have, but which you actually cannot control at all. We need to be wise with our life and no matter knowing no matter what comes to 
our life because of Jesus Christ. When this life ends, a new one begins. John 5 says, truly, truly, this is Jesus saying, he's saying this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. We have, again, I said this in a previous message, we have more life to look forward to. He does not come into judgment, but he has passed from death to life. Belief in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, saves us from the judgment of God. Believe in the, belief in the Son of God takes us when our life ends into the presence of God. And in his presence, it says that there's fullness of joy. It says that at his right hand, there is pleasures forever more. This is what the Christian has to look forward to when their life comes to an end. And this reality is meant and should give us peace and confidence about our future. David tells us about the brevity of life, and then he, he gives us a contrast. He says, he says, but the steadfast love, he contrasts us with God. He says, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. David here, what he's doing is he is telling us about the length of God's commitment, the length of God's commitment. The, the Hebrew word, Hebrew word that we translate steadfast love is the word hesed. And John Golden Gay, he said this, he said, hesed is used in two connections. When someone makes an act of commitment for which there's no reason in terms of prior relationship, and when someone keeps their commitment when they might be expected to abandon it, for example, because the other person has done so. God is committed to his people and his commitment to us, it lasts forever. God's commitment is unending, even though God's people has given him lots of reasons to abandon it. And when you, again, when you read the word, you see that the people, that's clear about the people of Israel, that's clear about us. We've given God lots of reasons to abandon his commitment, but yet he sticks with us. This is good news. This is good news for us who are, who are frail, who are weak, who are dying. Listen to Romans 8. It says, for I'm sure of this, for I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, what? Will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing can separate me from the steadfast love of the Lord. He is deeply committed to us as his children, his people, and his love and his commitment. Do you know it can be experienced by the next generation? It's in the text. Look at verse 17 again. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. Now, when we read that, it seems like God will, will set his love, this commitment, he's going to do this for people, the next generation, regardless of how they live. But verse 18 helps us to think properly here. That, that's not the case. It says, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The words keep and do, what they do is they speak of 
active obedience. It's like that patient who 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 follows their doctor's order. It's the stu- It's like the student who who does what their prof says. They follow instruction. See, God gives His love and His commitment to those who do what He says. God, that's the people who He is committed to. And these are the people who truly fear him. Notice that. It says that it's his steadfast love is for those who fear him. And parents and grandparents, as you are discipling the children in your life, you need to tell them about the love of God. Yes, but you have to tell them also that how we live, that that actually matters. That our living matters. That how we carry ourselves, how we behave, that obedience to God is extremely important. But here's another thing that you have to tell them that is so important. We need to tell the children in our life that we will not be able to live perfectly. That yes, God calls us to keep and and do his commandments, but we'll never be able to do those perfectly. But there is someone who has done that perfectly, and that person is Jesus Christ. And this is what we need to tell our children. We need to say to them, that is where your faith, your hope, and your trust, that is where it has to be in the person and work of Jesus Christ, not trusting in our performance, but trusting in him and all that he has done. Tell them to trust Christ. Tell them that no one in their life will ever, ever commit to them like he will. See, we have hope kids in our church, but parents, you've got to know that the children's ministry starts at your house. The children's ministry starts at your house. Pastor Dennis said this to me on the phone this week as he was just giving me some counsel and some good feedback. He said this, he said, Marv, this is the time to build into your kids because before you know it, they're grown up and gone. Before you know it, they're grown up and they're gone. Teach them the gospel. Encourage them to believe in Jesus Christ. Why? Because in Jesus Christ, we find hope. In Jesus Christ, we get a feeling of peace. In Jesus Christ, we get confidence about the future. Because through Jesus Christ, it's through him that we will experience God's everlasting love. Parents, grandparents, do not miss the opportunity and the privilege that you have of telling your child about the one who will never fail them, Jesus Christ. David tells us about God's commitment to us, and now he tells us about the extent of God's rule. He talks about the brevity of life. The life is brief. It's not something to waste Then he tells us about how committed God is to us, that he loves us, that nothing can separate us from that love. And then he tells us about the extent of God's rule. Look at verse 19. It says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. His kingdom rules over all. The the word throne is is a symbol of God's reign. And notice that it's placed in the heavens. It's in the heavens. It's, its location tells us that God's rule is over all the earth. His rule is over all creatures. His rule is over the entire universe. It tells us what David is doing here. He's telling us about God's authority. He's telling us about the authority of God. That God answers to no one. That God is in charge of everyone. He's telling us about God's power. 
that nothing can stop God. No one can, no one can stop him. He's, he's telling us about God's sovereignty. He says his kingdom rules over all. That word rule, you know what that should do for you? You know what that, that word does for me? It gives me peace. And that word should give you peace. You know why? Because it reminds us of who is in charge, who is running things. See, see, God, he takes care of his creation. He rules his creation and he does it for his glory and the good of his people. He is ruling creation for his own glory by his good and wise providence. God is a God of wisdom. He knows exactly what he is doing. He is ruling creation for his glory and for the good of his people. The sovereignty of God is something that as you read from Genesis to Revelation, it just it's so clear that God is sovereign over nations, that he is sovereign over people, that he is sovereign over creation, that he's sovereign over animals, that he's sovereign over all things. It should give us peace, it should encourage us. See, the sovereignty of God, what it does, it tells me that the details of our life, it tells us the details of our life and the direction of our life is under God's control. It tells us that nothing is impossible for God. He is, he is power. Nothing is impossible for him. It tells the single parent, it encourages the single parent because it says to them, the care and development of your child is not just up to you. That, that in God's sovereignty, you have his help through prayer. You can ask the Lord to help you as you care for your child, to, to work in your child, to rescue your child and help them to develop into a wise and productive human being. It's not all up to you. It tells the local church that no matter the time or the season, that in God's sovereignty and his wise providence, he is going to build his church. No matter the season, God's church is going to grow and develop, and he's going to use it to extend his reign through the world. It tells the person who is filled with fear, the sovereignty of God tells the person who is filled with fear, fear not. Fear not. Why? Because your king, your God, your father who is in heaven rules over all. The doctrine of, of God's sovereignty should bless us. It should give us peace. But here's something I want to say. The doctrine of the sovereignty of God is something that we need to be careful with. It's something that we need to be careful with. Look at, listen to what Jerry Bridges says. He says, we need to be very sensitive about instructing someone else in the sovereignty of God and encouraging that person to trust God when he or she is in the midst of adversity and pain. Watch this, this is so important. This is, I, you just gotta, you gotta slow down and listen to this. It is much easier to trust in the sovereignty of God when, it's, when it is the other person who is hurting. Let us not be guilty of breaking a bruised reed, a heavy heart, by insensitive treatment of the heavy doctrine of the sovereignty of God. It's, it's wise, it's good, it's loving for us to be there for people who are hurting. But in, when we're in their presence, it's wise for us to be quick to listen and slow to speak. We don't want to inflict more pain. We don't want to be like Job's friends who in, inflict more pain to the person who is hurting and struggling. We need to listen well so that we can speak well. We, the sovereignty of God 
should bless us, but the sovereignty of God, that doctrine, we need to be careful with it. God's kingdom rules over all. And Jesus tells the non-Christian how to get in. Mark 1, it says, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. What? The kingdom of God is at hand. And here's what he, here's what he tells the non-Christian. And repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus tells us the way in. He says, acknowledge your sin. He says, turn from your sin. Believe the gospel. Believe that I've come and, and lived for you and died in your place, that I've been resurrected, that I'm on my throne ruling and reigning, that one day I am going to come back to make all things right. Believe the gospel that through Jesus Christ, our broken relationship with God can be restored. Jesus tells the non-Christian the way in to the kingdom of God. It's through faith in Christ. And that this is not a kingdom you want to miss out on. It's a kingdom that's ruled by a loving, caring, heavenly father who will care for you and do his work of transformation and change in your life. And he promises only good to you at the end of your life. Jesus tells us the way in. And so don't miss the opportunity to enter in. Repent and believe the gospel. And then based on the truth from verse 19, David calls all creation to praise. He says, Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying his, the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The word his, David uses that word eight times in these verses. Eight times he says his. And again, he's, he's just trying to make it so clear. All things belong to God. All things are owned by him and all things are, are, are called and should praise God. He also mentions angels and he describes them in different ways. First, he calls them hosts. And he does that because there's thousands of them. And then he calls them ministers. And that is because their role is to serve. Notice he says, he says, they do God's word, that they do his will. And one of the ways that they obey God, one of the ways they do the will of God is that they come to us, they come to humanity, and they give us good news. These supernatural beings, they, they come and they bring good news. Angels announce the birth of our Savior. It says, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. This is Luke 2. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all people. They're like, I, I bring you good news for everyone, for all people. For what? For, what? For, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Angels announce the birth of the, of the Savior the world needs. And then angels announce the, the resurrection of the Savior. It says in Matthew 28, now the, uh, after the Sabbath, towards the, the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven 
and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. And the angel said to the woman, again, this, this, this call to peace, don't be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He says, have peace in your heart. He is not here, for he is risen. And he said, come and see the place that they, he lay. Peace, don't be afraid. The angels, when they announce the birth of the Savior, say, don't be afraid. When they announce the resurrection of the Savior, say, don't be afraid. And angels tell us about the return of our Savior in Acts one says, while they were gazing into heaven as he went, Jesus is ascending, it says, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, these angels, and said, men of Galilee, why do you look into the heavens? This Jesus who, has, who was taken up from, from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus will return. God sends them to do this. Why? Because he wants us to have peace. He wants us to have peace in our hearts, peace about this life and peace about the life to come. God is a king who serves. This is what we see in this text. He serves us because he cares for us. And this is why David calls for praise. He calls for praise. He is singing, but he does not want his song to be a solo. And notice that he finishes where he starts. Verse 22, bless the Lord all his works in all places of his dominion. His, he is ruling all places of his dominion. And he says, bless the Lord, O my soul. David starts this psalm by talking to himself. And he ends the psalm by talking to himself. This is a habit that we need to continue to, to develop and can develop into our life. Talking to ourselves more than we listen to ourselves. Talking to our souls. Telling our souls what the word of God says. That's what we need to do. Telling our souls what the voice of God has said. Reviewing the benefits of God. All that I received when I trust trusted in Jesus Christ, reviewing the compassion of God, that he knows my weakness, he knows that I'm frail, and he's willing to help me and does all sorts of things to help me, telling my soul about the authority of God, reminding myself, who's in charge? God is in charge, no one else, that he rules over all. And why do we do this? We do these things because they give us peace in our present. We do these things because they give peace about to us about our future the life to come my life your life is brief but god's commitment and rule should give us peace my life your life is brief but this text shows us because of who god is because of his commitment and his love for his people because of his authority and his rule over all the earth you and I should be a people and can be a people this week and in the weeks to come who are filled with peace, peace in our hearts because God is in our life and because my Father is in charge. And this is why we say, bless the Lord, O my soul. If you agree with me, say amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord God, that peace is possible because you are real, because you are ruling and you are reigning, because you are deeply committed to us as your flock. 
And God, we know and believe. Help us to believe even more. And God, where there's unbelief, help us to overcome that, that your kingdom truly rules over all. No matter the moment, Lord God, you are in charge. Help us to rest in these realities. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the way you serve us, Lord God. And I pray you would help us to have hearts that want to uh, seek your kingdom first above all things, knowing that you are going to take care of us when we do that. And God, we pray this in the mighty name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit HopeTorontoNorth.com.